Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. Live from Los Angeles, the win without competing show with Dr. Arlene Barrow, host and creator of the Right Fit Method, the key to professional and personal success. Now let's join Dr. Arlene. Thank you, Virgil. I'm kicking off my third year on Block Talk Radio, focusing this entire show on young adults. The media talks about suicides, murders, drugs, and cyberbullying in the young adult world. Is that what we want for our young adults? Of course not. Then why are we teaching them that heinous behavior results in fame? Society has set the stage for young adults to fail by teaching them the wrong standards, but many will not fail because they make their decisions using a different set of standards. They do not copy the norm. They set high standards. We need to hear about them and from them. That's why I selected humanitarian Shana Turk as my guest today. 18-year-old Shana Turk was chosen from 4,300 candidates across the country in 2010 as Young Entrepreneur of the Year by the National Federation of Independent Business Young Entrepreneur Foundation. Along with this honor, which she received in Washington, D.C., Turk was awarded a $10,000 educational scholarship from Visa to attend USC. At age 11, Turk became an entrepreneur. She founded the drama camp Shana Turk's Academy of Rising Stars, known as STARS, to give kids a chance to star in musicals, which she directs, choreographs, and markets. Turk has a natural affinity for the theater. At age five, she began her acting career and performed in 27 musicals. Turk has more than 30 campers in STARS, who not only learn wonderful theatrical skills, but also self-confidence. Turk consciously works on teaching both. See, she is much more than a successful young entrepreneur. Turk is a humanitarian. From her theatrical productions, she raised $15,000, which she donated to the Music for Heart Foundation. This money saved the lives of six children who had surgery for congenital heart defects. Join me as I uncover why Turk made two medical missions to El Salvador to pursue her humanitarian efforts. Welcome, Shana, to Win Without Competing. Hi, Dr. Arlene. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. You are an unusual young adult. It really touches me. What do your parents do, and how did they set the stage for you to become who you are today? Well, my parents definitely have had a huge impact on who I am and what I've done. 
My dad is a dentist and has his own small practice. My mom owns her own small business called People Platters. And they've both gone to they both went to college, they both went to graduate school, and they've just been so supportive in their efforts that it's kind of been our family tradition to do the same. My parents have definitely inspired me to work hard in school, to pursue my dreams, and we just have a really supportive system behind us. But going a bit further, Shana, I know we talked prior to the show, you told me they encourage you to be unique. Tell me about that. Yes, totally. Um, My parents, one of the things they always tell us is to do what we, you know, what we, what makes us feel good. And um, one of the words they use is being unique, being creative, and kind of um, using that as your, like, guidance for your future. And um, when I was younger, I was playing sports. I did drama. I mean, I didn't do drama yet. Um, I was taking dance classes. And when I started doing drama, my parents noticed that that was something I loved. And we always talked about that was, like, my uniqueness. My sister is a softball player, my brother's good in school, and my uniqueness is my drama. So your parents really nurtured and fostered your uniqueness. Exactly. You are a lucky young adult. (laughs) At age five, you began your acting career. I mean, it sounds so funny, don't you think, to say your acting career. That's why I'm sort of um, choked up here. It's such a beautiful story. Uh, (laughs) Tell us why you actually got so connected to this acting. What about it attracted you? Well, I think what really attracted me was not only it was something different than most of my friends were doing, but I just had the chance to be on stage and kind of play a different character and kind of explore the different attributes of my personality and, you know, encompass whatever the role ensued. And um, when I started acting, I just realized how much, I, how much passion I had for it and how much I loved it, that it just became that was my focus. Were there any particular characters that you enjoyed playing? I would definitely say one of my favorites, just because it's such a well-known character, was when I was Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz at, I think, 11 years old. Ah, that must have been a wonderful role for you. (laughs) So much fun. And just to be able to, you know, Wizard of Oz is one of my top favorite musicals, and to be able to sing those songs and be on stage, it was dream come true. How old were you when you had singing lessons? Um, I think I took my first singing lesson at 10 years old or 11 years old, and my mom would drive me every day, or not every day, once a week she'd drive me all the way to Sherman Oaks, which is 45 minutes from my house, and she would take me to do my singing lessons. So, supportive family. (laughs) Was it your idea to have the singing lessons, or did your mother suggest it? Because she heard your beautiful voice. (laughs) It was definitely my idea. I mean, I've always been able to carry a tune, but I really wanted to, you know, explore what else I had in my voice. And um, one of my castmates mentioned she went and took singing lessons, and so I saw it as an opportunity, kind of talked to my parents, and then I got my own singing teacher. Well, I'll tell you, at your young age, you've accomplished more than many people significantly older. Let's go further. There's a lot more to learn about you. You and your sister, Talia, 
both tried out for the same show. What happened when you were given the lead, one of the leads, and Talia was not? How did you feel and what did you think about all of this? Well, that's definitely probably the peak in my, um, I guess, progression to starting my camp. Um, When I auditioned for a show, which was Grease, one of my other favorites, with Talia, um, I was given one of the leads, one of the pink ladies, and Talia was given chorus. And when we first found out, I was kind of shocked because Talia has this innate raw talent for singing. She, She was kind of born with it, and I had to work for it. And I was just so disappointed that here this is a children's theater, and Talia's, Talia was five or six, but, um, and she was given a chorus part. And I just I couldn't believe that with the skills and everything she had, how she wasn't given a bigger part. She wasn't even given a singing part. So I just kind of got disappointed, and, you know, we were in the show. We had a great time, of course, but I just realized, you know, wow, we're putting in all this effort, and... Talia's getting this tiny part where she deserves something so much more. And I guess I can kind of continue the story or Yeah. What it. I wanted what I wanted to do with this was to show at this early age that you already started to understand with whom you're dealing. Yeah. Because you told me prior to the show that you had insight as to why she didn't get one of the leads. So right. share your insight because I think that's very important in terms of your development. No problem. So um, when she auditioned and then we found out our parts, one of the reasons that kind of went through my head was, you know, maybe Talia had an off audition or maybe they just didn't, they weren't able to see really what she had or, you know, maybe she got shy, whatever it was. And I just thought, you know, they give her this one chance to audition, and she's not getting a lead part. Obviously, something happened. And that kind of um, sparked some other ideas in me, which was, you know, look, look, these are older people who were giving the cast, and maybe, maybe at an older age, like, they couldn't hear her voice, whatever it was. And that's when I kind of realized, wait, I have a kind, I have an ear for listening to this kind of talent. I could definitely do something like this or, you know, something, I guess. So you you used it as a way of sparking what became the beginning of your camp, but at the same time you started to figure out or try to figure out with whom you were dealing. Is that correct? Yes, for sure. Good, because it reminds me when I was a child, My dad was a cantor in a synagogue, and we would walk hand in hand through the streets of Brookline, Massachusetts, the birthplace of John F. Kennedy, and my dad would talk uh, with each of the people that passed by, and after each conversation, he would ask me what was the meaning behind the conversation. He didn't want me to repeat the the words, but to explain, in essence, with whom I was dealing. And so my dad trained me to do that very consciously. Do you think that your parents, in some form or another, consciously started to train you to understand with whom you're dealing? 
yes, I mean, like your story, my parents have always kind of told me to learn who I'm dealing with and then, you know, speak back in regards to what it is. And with school, with all different programs I've been involved with, they always tell me if you're not happy with something, know who you're dealing with and respond accordingly. And um, if I'm not happy with a grade or a way a test comes back, I definitely, you know, I don't want to hurt a teacher's feelings or anything, so I approach the situation as I should, and I, I definitely speak up for myself, but it's with regards to who I'm dealing with. Well, that's terrific because um, I remember many years later when I became a dean in a medical school, um, I had told my dad that I was getting headaches. And the first thing he said was, speak up, speak up, and you won't get headaches. And he was right. I started speaking up and no longer had headaches. Sounds like we both have, I had a wonderful dad and you have wonderful parents. Yes. Going further, at age 11, you became an entrepreneur. You started a drama camp, which is now called Shana Turk's Academy of Rising Stars. The tuition for each child is $400. I want to start with the tuition. I know that initially you didn't charge $400. Tell us how you got to $400. What was the decision-making process that motivated you to keep increasing the tuition? Yeah, so when I actually started my camp, it only cost $25, which at the time seemed like a whole bunch of money to me. I was only 11. And um, I kind of started my camp not necessarily thinking of I would be charging $400 one day or I didn't even know that I would be charging. But I started with these eight kids that I was using, and um, they I asked the parents all to pay $25 to basically cover costumes the sets, the um, the scripts, and just, like, it wasn't to make money. It was just to cover the basic costs. And after the success from the first show and the parent appreciation and the kids, we all had such a great time, I decided to do another show. And I kind of saw it as an opportunity to make some money here because I had already started kind of babysitting or being a mom's helper. And um, I just saw this as another opportunity to make some money. So... I decided to charge $50 for my second production that summer, and that I was able to make a little bit of money. And then the next year, it just kept continuing and continuing, and I charged 100 then 150 and now I'm up to $400, which is definitely a great cost because it's cheap and affordable for parents, but it also allows me to cover the costs of what I need, including counselors, costumes, sets, royalties, marketing, and that's kind of been my thought process. Between you and me, uh, do you have plans to increase your tuition? I don't necessarily think I have any plans to increase it. Um, I know that I want to still keep it affordable for parents, but also it makes sense to me because now I'm 18, I can work. I want it to be something that definitely makes sense but is not too high for a parent to pay. Okay. Well, it sounds like you also, again, understand with whom you're dealing. You understand what the other side uh, wants and needs and thinks about. That's terrific. Going further, you started at a young age with blueprints of right fits. 
you have specific goals for your rising stars. You also have very high standards. In a nutshell, you run a tight ship. For example, no dress rehearsal or show day can be missed. You also created a contract, okay, to match your blueprint. Let's talk about first the blueprint that you have in terms of your campers as far as what your expectations are for them. Well, I mean, I guess that goes in sync with the contract, but um, I definitely want my campers to get a great experience from my camp, and part of the experience is being there, practicing, being at dress rehearsals, you know, being there the same amount of time as everyone else. It's kind of a group effort, and when one person's missing, we definitely can't accomplish what we'd like to accomplish. So at the beginning of camp, I did not initially start with this, but I kind of developed over the years a contract that would enable that to happen. So on my contract, I have the parents at auditions, the kids and the parent must sign, um, saying that they will not miss audition. I mean, they will not miss dress rehearsals. They cannot miss more than four or five practices. And basically, all it is is to ensure that we all get the same experience, and there's no special treatment for anyone, and that we, you know, everyone can be on the same level for a successful show. Has your contract worked out well? Do the parents and the campers adhere to it? Yeah, I would say I've only had one one incident over seven years that I've been doing my camp that really struck me as someone breaking the contract or kind of going against it. Okay. Can you tell us about that, or would you prefer not to? No, that's no problem. Great. Um, We're all ears. All the listeners are dying to hear. Shana, go ahead. (laughs) During one of the shows, one of our standards is that the kids are respectful of the counselors and that, you know, since it's a small theater we perform at, we need everyone to be quiet during the actual shows so that the parents can hear what's going on. So I had one boy who happened to be a family friend who decided that he wanted to be loud backstage and could goof off. So I heard him during the middle of the show, and I just it kind of you know bothered me that here we're trying to listen to the show, and I hear these, this voice going on. He has such a recognizable voice. And I just I knew it was him. So during the show, I walked to the back, and um, I have a couple different counselors in different locations. I told one of them, you know, this child is disrupting disrupting the play. Can you go speak with him? She went and spoke with him, and things were quiet for about 10, 15 minutes, and then I heard him again. So I decided to walk around because I, I sit in the front during the shows. I walked around. I told the kid, "Listen, if you're going to talk, I'd really appreciate that you don't sit you don't sit back sit backstage for right now. You know, we'll take you out into the audience. You can get out your giggles and if you're ready, you can come back. Otherwise, you're breaking the contract of what we do during shows and I just don't find that acceptable." And I kind of spoke to him more not necessarily punishing him, but more of like a kid to kid level, and he actually really understood what I was saying and I did not hear him the next, the rest of the show or in future shows to come. Ah, so he broke the contract, but look what you did. You basically helped him get himself back together again. Right. Right, so that's terrific. Yeah, so I used, he, used my contract to kind of 
you know, form him, I guess, <laughs> form his. Yeah, well, but I mean, but you did it in a very nice way. You did right. it in a supportive way, uh, but reminding him he had an agreement that he was supposed to adhere to, which also tells me that he respects you. Right. Otherwise, I think that he would have continued doing what you didn't want him to do. Right. I do want to talk a bit about how you wrote the contract, because I know we've discussed it, and I think it's very interesting. Tell us, how did you write the contract? Did you take someone else's contract, or did you create your own from scratch? Um, when I was creating my contract, I you know, I think I was around 8 or – no, not 8, excuse me, 11 or 12 at the time – and, um, you know, I didn't really have ideas of exactly what I wanted for my camp at the time or didn't really know what it would become. So I kind of looked online for different drama camps of their contracts, kind of picked what fit to my camp and, you know, created a mold that would fit who my camp was and who I am, kind of discussed it with my parents and a couple other people who know me and know what I expect. And that's kind of where my contract came from. It's, it's, if you read the contract, you would see me in it. It's, my writing, it's my style, and it's what fits me. So did your parents review it after yeah, I you mean, wrote I, it? Yeah, my parents, you know, helped me with grammar at the time and things like that, but it was definitely what I wanted. They, you know, if something was too too strict or something, my dad would kind of say, don't you want to do something a little bit more lenient? But if I had a, an idea in my head of what I wanted it to be, that was what it was going to be. Well, you understand the concept of what the right fit is for you. Right. Okay. But at the same time, it sounds like your dad was reminding you again about with whom you were dealing. By yeah, mentioning be about, yeah, yeah, about Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Were you being too strict? So that sounds so that sounds like it was a wonderful learning experience for you. Exactly. Subconsciously. <laughs> that's right. Your grandparents, Erica and Jerry Miller, have a large back room with a stage where you hold your performances. How do they happen to have a stage, Shana? Most grandparents don't have stages that their granddaughter can use. (laughs) I'm actually smiling right now. Um, (laughs) (laughs) When my grandparents moved into their house, they had this huge six-car garage, you know, they're only two people. They already had a separate garage for the house. And um, I guess the owners previously had a bunch of cars they collected. So my Bubby, who is a character herself, she decided to change this um, garage into a pavilion. So she made it, it's called Miller's Pavilion, and she added, um, you know, a floor and a ceiling. Uh, I mean, she painted the ceiling. She added a little stage microphones, things like that, that she would use for parties. She loves having New Year's parties, Halloween parties. She's just a very spirited woman. And um, one thing she always tells me is that she didn't create the stage for me, but that she created it for herself and that she's so glad that I'm able to use it. And, you know, that's kind of where my stage and my ability to do my camp has come from. Wonderful. And as an aside, your grandma or... Uh, your Bubby, as you fondly refer to her as, is a psychiatrist. So she sounds like a fascinating woman. Yes, I mean, she's she is a role model. She is such a fascinating person and such a inspiration in my life. 
What do you think she's taught you over the years? Well, um, I mean, besides the daily lessons she teaches me when I see her, she wrote a book that kind of um, puts together her life story, which I've read recently again. I've read it a hundred times, where she kind of discusses what her main, I guess, theme or her main motto in life is, which is, don't tell me I can't do something because I'm Jewish, because I'm a woman, because I'm short, because for whatever reason it may be. She was a Holocaust survivor. She, you know, got her Ph.D. when many women at the time weren't getting Ph.D.s. Um, She just has kind of done everything against the odds, and that's kind of what she's instilled in me. And I think that's a lot of the reason why I started my camp, I just knew that I had such a great support. Look what my bubby's been able to do. And I kind of took that and melted it to who I am. And, you know, she's definitely shaped my future, who I am today, and everything. So what is, do you know what her Ph.D. is in, Shana? In psychiatry. Oh, okay. so, but is she an M.D. or is she, a, a, is she an M.D. Ph.D. Or, or a Ph.D.? No, just a Ph.D. A Ph.D., okay. Yes. All right, so she's a, she must be probably a psychologist then. Yes, probably. A psychologist, <laughs> yes. yeah, yeah. Because if she was a psychiatrist, she would need an M.D. Right, right. Okay, but that's fine. Okay, so she's a psychologist, okay, terrific. All right, let's go further here. All right, and tell us. How do you make decisions about what shows to perform? I want to hear the the specs, in other words, the blueprint, because that's what I want our young adult listeners to start thinking in terms of blueprints, right? because I don't want them to compare and to contrast to make decisions. I want them to have a blueprint of the right fit, and match to that blueprint. Right. Okay. So yeah. what is your blueprint of the Right Fit show? Well, when I start picking my shows, I one of the first things I do is I project how many kids I will have in my show in the next year. So at the time when I started, I had eight kids, and when I did the second session, I knew there was some other interest, and, in, you know, other kids were interested. So I kind of projected that I would have 12 kids, From that, I then formulated, okay, I need to have parts that are of all different levels, some that are, some that are, have abilities for kids to memorize a lot of lines, and some that are just smaller. And then I kind of pick out a list of my favorite musicals or things like that, and I figure out there's only one that actually fits to what I want, and that's how the second show I picked was Wizard of Oz, because it's a smaller cast, and the roles are all over the place, and that's kind of how... I picked my shows, and um, sometimes I repeat shows, and I do brand new shows, and it all has to do with the kids, what's going on at the time, and kind of how I'm feeling, what fits for my camp. Has your blueprint worked out well for you, or have you had to change your blueprint at all? Well, I've never changed my blueprint during a show or once auditions have begun, But definitely, sometimes the summer before, I like to announce to the kids what I'm going to be doing as the next show. And a couple of times, I think I've assumed that we could do a show that we couldn't. You know, maybe I um, assumed something differently than what fit my camp. So a couple months later, I'll have to change it. But once I find that 
one, and once that initial email goes out that this is the show we're doing, it's set, it's the perfect one to do, and that's kind of how we do it. Terrific. Uh, Going a bit further, in 2007, you decided to produce only one show so that you would have a longer period to prepare. Tell us more about that, because I know you were doing more than one show a year, and then you switched to this new blueprint. So yeah. So what, what prompted that? Because obviously that was a blueprint change. Right. Um, well, it happened to be the summer before 2007, I when I was thinking of shows to do, one of my top choices was to do High School Musical. It was popular at the time. The kids loved it. And I knew that it it needed to be a show that inqui- it acquired a lot more focus, a lot more practice, a lot more of personal relationships with the kids. So that's when I decided to do a six-week session for the next couple of summers to really do some bigger productions, kind of build better relationship with the kids, and pick the counselors that would be great in my for the succeeding shows and whatnot. And it was a great summer because not only did I build this relationship with these kids who would then be in all my shows following, but we also had a great show that was well-rehearsed, well-practiced, it wasn't rushed, and it was a great, great success. So your decision was the right decision? For sure. Absolutely. Tell us about Delaney Kate Small how you met her and why she joined your camp and about her health history. Well, Delaney Kate Small is the sister of Jamie Small, who happened to be one of my sister's best friends when she was in kindergarten. And that was around, and um, so Jamie was Talia's best friend. Jamie's mother, Brenda, was pregnant with her daughter, Delaney. And um, at the time, I would... Um, I became we became family friends with the Smalls when she was pregnant. When Delaney was born, she was born with congenital heart disease, and um, her mother had to spend hours and weeks in the hospital with her father. They just were taking turns. They had to watch Delaney go through struggling surgeries and all these different costly medical necessities. So the Smalls asked me to come be uh, come help at their house and. Um, kind of watch the other girls while they were taking care of Delaney. When Delaney was finally healthy enough to come home, I kind of continued what I was doing and became a mother's helper to Brenda. And, um, you know, when when she had to catch up on her work that she'd missed, I played with the girls, and I kind of from a young age built the special bond with Delaney. Uh, a year later, I started my camp, and, of course, Jamie was going to be in my show, along with her other sister, Kylie. And um, I remember we always talked about how we wanted – we couldn't wait for Delaney to join the camp because I was so close with her. She was she was two years old at the time, and we just we were waiting for her to join my camp. And then I think it was in 2007 at the same – yeah, it was the same time I started doing one show a session – Delaney was finally five years old, which is in my contract. You have to be five years old to do my camp, and she was able to join my show. Well, what kind of else was going on at the same time when Delaney started my camp was that her mother Brenda Small started a foundation with her with her husband Craig Small started the Music for Heart Foundation, which would raise money for kids 
for underprivileged kids to afford congenital heart disease, I mean, to afford the surgery for congenital heart disease. So going to different countries like El Salvador and Guatemala, Brenda decided to focus on El Salvador and start a program there that would allow these kids to have the opportunity for another chance of life. So when Delaney ended up joining my camp, I saw another opportunity and another idea sparked in me to donate all the proceeds from my tickets to the Music for Heart Foundation to kind of just show my appreciation and thankfulness that Delaney's been able to be in my camp and make it this far in life. And that's kind of been my, like it's kind of piggybacked my camp over the last couple of years. And you continue to donate 100% of the proceeds to the foundation, Shana? Yes. And I know you told me, too, the, sh- the foundation has also expanded, apparently. Mm-hmm. Do you want me to explain that? Yeah, yeah. So now what is it? what is the foundation called now? Well, now it is called Gift of Life International, and um, that's been a foundation that's been around for about 30 years. They started it in Uganda with this one girl, and she's now 30 years old. So um, the, the organization has definitely expanded, and they just chose recently in the past, I think four months ago, they chose Brenda Small to be their Los Angeles representative. Um, Brenda's been going to El Salvador for the past couple of years to set up a program there, a more, you know, they don't have a a children, they have one children's hospital in the whole entire country. So Brenda has um, tried to get different support to establish a real system there. And she finally got a hold of Gift of Life International and built this really personal relationship that they eventually decided to take up Music for Heart and now they are able to do so much more because they have the name recognition and Brenda just saw the opportunity and has expanded her organization. It's amazing how you became a humanitarian from all of this. Tell us more about uh, El Salvador. I know you've made two medical missions. Why did you go the first time? And did your dad accompany you the first time? Well, Brenda had been going to El Salvador for, I think, about two years before I went the first time, or maybe two or three years. And um, she'd always invited people to come, you know, neighbors, family, friends, to come and see this incredible experience she was able to go to. So when I was in, um, it was, yeah, 11th grade, I, um, I was applying to colleges and kind of going through the whole college process, and I just she invited me again to come to El Salvador. It was perfect timing because it wasn't in the summer when I was doing my camp. It was at the beginning of the school year when I was still able to, you know, take my work with me and make it up on the trip. And um, Brenda also needed dentist because she was going to, the kids need to have proper hygiene in their mouth in order to have the heart surgeries. So she asked my dad if he would come on the medical mission as well. So this was just, it was the perfect trip, perfect timing, and I was able to go on the medical mission in September of last year. What did you accomplish on the first mission, would you say? On the first mission, it was more about seeing what goes on and where all the money goes to. Um, I had the chance to go in an um, operating room and see open heart surgery on a few different kids. One of them happened to be one of the ones that my camp had sponsored, 
And it was just this incredible experience. Like I'm in El Salvador and I'm in an operating room seeing one of these this tiny six-month-year-old baby having heart surgery because of the funds my camp had supported. And um, it just it kind of made everything come to life. And I was really able to bond with the families the, of the kids getting their surgeries. And I just, every single time I, it warms my heart to think about my first, my first trip to El Salvador. Um, I met one of the mothers of Jocelyn, who was the first girl that Brenda sponsored, who I helped um, also have fun for her surgery. I met her mother, and when I first met her in their adobe tin hut that was the size of, probably half the size of my bedroom for five people, and um, I met her. She came right away. She just saw who I was. She didn't necessarily know me. She gave me a hug. Um, Brenda kind of told her who I was, what I did, and she just in Spanish started breaking down to me and said, you don't know how much you mean to me. I pray for you every day for what you did for my daughter. I just could never thank you enough. And, of course, it touched my heart, and I started crying. And it just, everything came to life when I met this woman. And then you returned again. Tell us about that. (laughs) Well, of course, I could not stay away after that incredible experience. So a few months later, after the college apps had all kind of silenced a little bit, I, over my spring break, I decided to go back to El Salvador with my father and my brother because my brother had also, um, my brother's two years younger than me, and he's just kind of, you know, been really interested in music for heart since I've been so interested in it. So we went to El Salvador, and this one was not necessarily about surgeries, but it was about finding a good location for a brand new hospital that we would hopefully get enough money to to create, and um, this is at the time when Gift of Life was thinking about joining with Music for Heart, so we got to go with Gift of Life International Representatives, and I went with this other girl who started a club, a a Music for Heart club in New York, and together we got to meet with different officials and meet different families and kind of just see what really goes on behind the scenes. Uh, you have, do you have any plans in terms of returning again? What do you think? Well, I definitely, of course, I'd love to go back, and I just, I don't know how I could stay away. I love the kids. Every time I go, I just, they make, they just make you feel so good because they have nothing, and you see them in these houses and what they're wearing and how appreciative they are when you just, you, like, we come and we give them clothes, we give them toys, and it's just, it's incredible to see what poverty they live in and how just the smallest thing makes them feel so good. So I definitely think if I have the opportunity, I would love to go as soon as I can. Now, we're going to switch to Shana Turk again, back to the entrepreneur Shana Turk, (laughs) all right? The double side. How did the National Federation of Independent Business Young Entrepreneur Foundation learn about your accomplishments? Tell us about that. Well, at the same time, this was kind of all, and this was like my my year to kind of discover who I was and what my beliefs were. And I, after the college apps were done, my mom and I and my dad, we were discussing where I wanted to go to college and what the costs would be and things like that. And we definitely thought applying for some scholarships would be such a great idea because 
then I would, at the time I was planning on going to medical school and, you know, all the loans I'd have to take out. So they definitely said, like, let's start looking at some scholarships. So I had this this great story that I was always, I've always been itching to tell, I guess. I don't really, I don't like to brag about my story at all to my friends, but I was just waiting for the perfect opportunity to kind of tell it. So we looked for scholarships in different books, online, all different kind of things. My mom and I spent hours looking looking for the perfect ones, not just applying to the general ones. We picked out about 15 to 20, and um, NFIB, the YEF, was definitely the one that I felt the most connected to when I when I was writing the essay, and um, we definitely we definitely saw the potential for it to be a success. That was among the other couple that really fit who I was. They weren't just picking a scholarship, and it was the the right fit for who I was. So, kind of how I picked the scholarship. Tell us the story about how it all sort of unfolded. In other words, you filled out the application. Right. How did they notify you? I know you you flew there with your parents. Give us a nice visual picture of what it was like and how you felt. Well, um, so I was supposed to find out around end of March, beginning of April, if I was a finalist or if I'd even, you know, won the award. And um, I was at USC touring the school, and that was kind of one of my days where I was really, I, I just, I was at the school and in love with it, and I just really wanted, I wanted that to be the school I attended. So I was at lunch with my parents, kind of sitting down and just kind of discussing the financial cost of USC and what was going on. And then on my BlackBerry, I get an email saying NFIB. So I opened it thinking, oh, I didn't really have that much angst about it, but I I opened it and right away it said congratulations. And I totally freaked out and I was so excited. And I didn't even really realize what I had won yet. But I kind of scrolled down, read it with my parents, and we found out I was a semifinalist and that I would win $5,000 and be flown to Washington, D.C. for this award ceremony for Young Entrepreneur of the Year. And at the time, it just once I got that award, it kind of all made sense. It was at the perfect place, the perfect time. That That's when I decided I was going to USC. And then um, about a couple days later, uh, a member from NFIB called me, and we kind of discussed when the exact time my fam- my parents and I could fly to Washington, D.C. for this award ceremony. We got there in June, which I had to take one day off of, or two days off of my camp in order to go to the ceremony. So I had one of my very responsible counselors be in charge for the day. And I we went to the ceremony. I sat at a table with four other boys and different officials, um, and we were shown this award, or we were shown this this film that showed each one of our skills and what we had each accomplished. So I was the last one because my name was last in the alphabet. And um, we watched this video, and you know it it was it's this really cool video where they just showed. Are all of our accomplishments, and they'd all—all all these boys had done incredible things. You know, mine. I felt when I saw the video, I kind of said, you know, wow, like I didn't realize that there was other kids starting these really cool businesses. But what my parents actually told me after the, after we saw the, or after I found out I won the award, was that when they saw the movie, they 
they totally knew that I had won the award because I had also I also give back my money and just I guess from the way they presented it they my parents knew that I had won. So we were sitting at lunch after the video and the one of the presidents of NFIB stood up and started saying he wanted to give us our awards and he called each of the boys up first because in alphabetical order and gave them their scholar or gave them um a trophy and their scholarship and we all applauded and then I was last I got mine I stepped over to the other side of the podium and then he looked at me and said and also our winner of young entrepreneur of the year Shayna Turk and I totally froze looked at my parents like oh my I can't believe I just won that my parents we just we the, the eyes the shock the excitement that's kind of how it all happened i i of course in me i kind of expected you know i didn't expect to win the award but i definitely had a feeling you know like look i have this story and if they already thought me as a semifinalist out of 4300 i definitely have a chance at this i didn't really tell my parents i kind of we kind of talked about you know whatever happens happens but i definitely knew that i i it was meant to be it it just felt right and um i got the award and the experience being there the surprise my, like we had no idea that that's what was going to happen and it's such a cool experience well i know we have two shanas right we have the first we have sort of the cool uh collected shana then we have the emotional shana what do you think yes <laughs> well that's all right it's good to have two shanas it's terrific know who you're dealing with (laughs) Uh, yeah that's right absolutely my dad taught me well i told you (laughs) now going further okay um it's been very interesting in terms of how you make your decisions with respect to your entrepreneurial world as well as your humanitarian world you really have a very strong image of the blueprints and the right fits and when you need to make changes. Let's look at something else which may be a little more difficult for you, but I have a feeling knowing with whom I'm dealing, it's not. When you think about friends, for example, on the Internet, Facebook, how do you go about selecting your friends? Well, that's actually a definitely a topic in my house about my choice in friends on Facebook. Um, I'm totally about personal relationships and about who I, if I have a, I, I don't like to meet someone on the Internet. I like to have that face-to-face relationship. So when I'm, when so, my Facebook is very private, it's very, it's me. I'm I'm a private person, but I also I'm also very open once I actually know a person. So when I get friend requests on Facebook for someone saying they want to be my friend, if they if I know them and I've had a conversation, of course I'll add them, and I feel that they they have the acceptance to be on my page. But if I don't know them and they just went to my school or they know me through a friend, I don't necessarily add them because I don't want someone who doesn't who's not who I don't know or who doesn't really fit in into my I guess friend list for to be on my Facebook. And I go through all the time and if someone if I don't talk to them or if I haven't 
seen them in years and I have no, you know, if I don't feel that they are fulfilling my friendship needs, I don't have them on Facebook anymore. And I, I keep a very tight list of who is allowed to be on it. It's very interesting. Um, you do not focus on quantity. Again, you're focusing on quality, right? Yes. I mean, that's totally quality over quantity. It's wonderful. So, again, we have a continuation of the same Shana here. You don't change how you approach things. No, I definitely, I bring, my like, my beliefs are definitely consistent in every aspect of my life. And I, I don't, just because of a, a friend situation or any sort of situation, I don't change that. What about in school? How does that work in school? Do you apply the same standards to your friends in school? Yeah, I mean, definitely my friends know this, that if you, if I don't feel that a friend is up to my standards, I guess, my my standards for life, um, I I don't really focus on them as being a friend anymore. And I, um, with my classes, I take classes that totally, that I feel I'm capable of taking. And um, with teachers, I, I just, I build these relationships that, make sense in all aspects of my life and I I know how to it's not not called working the system but I know how to make it fit to who I am and I I do what's necessary for me. Are there any situations that you've uh been confronted with that have been difficult for you because your standards are different from those around you? Because you're somebody who's not copying the norm. Right. I mean, definitely this is another thing that has to do with my personality. But I, when I was younger, if one of my friends in middle school had started, started becoming involved in drinking or alcohol or um, drugs, I, at first I, in my opinion, you know, I was a total no tolerance. If you do it, I'm not going to be friends with you. So I lost this one friend and just because they had started doing it. And then I kind of realized, wait, I can still be friends with these people. I just don't have to change who I am to be friends with them. So kind of over the next couple years, I would go out with my friends because I didn't want to lose out on an experience of being with them. And when my friends would want to do whatever they wanted to do, um, I would just stick true to who I was. And I knew that. And one thing that... um, one of my uh the headmaster at my high school told me was don't don't do something you wouldn't want to tell your grandma and i guess that's kind of what i've applied to myself when i go to parties or i go out is that i just i don't want anyone to think less of me because i'm going to do something just to have fun i i like to be true to who i am and i don't want to disappoint my parents i don't want to disappoint anyone for a decision just to have fun i mean i can have fun just being who i am that's that's all i need so i guess that's kind of what i do when i go out or if i'm in an uncomfortable situation i don't do anything unless i'm completely comfortable and it makes sense and i feel comfortable enough to talk to my parents about it it's very interesting you don't acquiesce to peer pressure no For those young adults who have spent their lives thus far copying others rather than setting the standard as you have done, what advice do you have for them 
to give them the confidence to figure out who they are and set the standard for themselves. They don't need to copy your set of standards, but they need to create a set of quality standards for themselves as well as blueprints of right fits so that they walk down the right fit road and are successful in their professional and personal lives as they grow and grow and grow. Right. I mean, definitely I'd say that probably one of the most important things is to somehow find some sort of support system and someone who you can kind of discuss your ideas and discuss what really fits you and what makes sense for you. And luckily I've had that as being my parents, different teachers, my grandparents, and I kind of, I would say nothing would be possible. Of course I have some of the characters, in innate characteristics in me, but I definitely use my resources and know who to talk with about what what works and what doesn't work. So I would definitely say to anyone else, I tell this to my friends all the time, you have to find someone who can understand what's going on with you and who kind of, with them, you can kind of figure out what is right for you, what career to go into, what college is right, what class you should be taking, and it shouldn't be anything that anyone has to go through alone. There's so many people who are there to support you, and um, I mean, I definitely, I have numerous resources. One that I found really helpful in at least picking my college process, I mean, not my college process, but my career process, was when I read your book recently, Win Without Competing, Um, I had been discussing with my parents about what career goals and what would kind of fit for me in the future. And um, my dad didn't really know how to help me because he's a dentist. He could only help me with medical. And my mom being, you know, she went to law school, but um, she didn't really have any ideas of what could work for me. So I talked with one of my aunts who at the time I thought I might want to go into PR, and she's a head of PR at Edelman. And I discussed with them about what would be the appropriate place for me to choose my um, career path. And then I read your book, and it talked about kind of discovering the right fit for who you are and not just doing something because you're good at it, because it fit who you are and it's the right fit. So I kind of realized that that was where my business skills came in, and I'm definitely going to major in business now. So I think there's just there's so many resources out there that help that can help anyone at any age discover what they should be doing. You don't have to do anything alone. Shana, let's go a bit further. <laughs> let's probe some more. Going back to my book, Win Without Competing, when you read Chapter 4 about your core identity, Know Thyself Now. In that chapter... I talk about the real entrepreneur and the fictitious entrepreneur. This is how I described the real entrepreneur, okay? They sustain their passion. They are committed to growing their businesses. They love the opportunity and freedom to create, to grow and expand their businesses. They forge their own destinies. And, of course, they have strong technical and interpersonal skills. When you read that, what did that trigger in you that helped you make the decision about going into business? 
because I know initially when we talked that medicine was also on the table. Right. I mean, like I said earlier, I always wanted to be a doctor when I was younger. And I just kind of, I guess I always had this dream that I was going to become this doctor and didn't really know the reason why or if that was really something I wanted to do. And I've always been good at science. I I could be, you know, I think I could definitely be a doctor. I could work hard to go to medical school. But when I read your the chapter four on core identity, I just realized, wait, I have all these skills, all this entrepreneur skills and all this desire to and passion, I guess, that um, might as well pursue something that I absolutely love and know that I'm good at. So that's kind of what sparked the idea to go into business. And I had kind of been discussing that with my parents. And then when I read that book, it just all clicked. And I guess the kind the my decisions have all they've all been for reasons and kind of part of my giant blueprint that everything kind of makes sense. And so you feel very comfortable with your decision then? Yes, and I'm actually I'm undeclared right now at USC, and I'm in the process of writing a, I guess it's not a, an appeal, but it's a it's just a switch into, I want to switch right into the business program because I know that's what I want to do. There's an entrepreneurial minor that I want to, I want to also do. So I guess I just, this has totally helped me figure out what I want to do. Well, there's no question that you really match the characteristics of an entrepreneur and certainly have shown at a young age that you you can do it without a doubt. Right. And obviously um, the award confirms that as well. But I think more than that, you feel the passion of it because passion is really the career fuel, and you need that ignited to be successful. Yeah, I mean, definitely, and you need the motivation and the determination for it to be successful in anything. When we talked prior to the show, you told me that you were going to share my book or suggest that your grandmother read my book, your Bubby, and your response fascinated me because she's had a successful career, and I'm intrigued as to why you want her to read Win Without Competing. Well, I guess when I was thinking about, I recommend, I love to recommend books to people, and um, when I was reading your book, I just, something sparked in me that my, you know, my bubby would love to read this and it is to- it's totally in sync with who she is. And I guess, I guess we both share a lot of similar qualities. So she started all these, she's, um, after she got her PhD, she started these clinics where she has different, um, different people working for her. And um, I feel like I haven't really asked her, but I think she's, she must have used the right fit method you know, and subconsciously to pick her decisions of who her employees were and how she's made her decisions in her life. And she doesn't let, if something's right for her, she's going to do it. So I just, I felt every aspect of the book really would make sense to her and that she'd really find it, you know, inspiring and just kind of reconfirm what she's been doing and how successful she has become. Well, I must say it's a wonderful compliment. <laughs> uh, I really love it that you're that you're going to. Are you going to give your bubby a a copy of the book? What is, what is your plan? Well, I mean, I haven't 
haven't thought that far yet, but, you know, definitely she could have my copy or I'd love to get her one. It was just her birthday. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. She's definitely going to be reading it. Terrific. All right. Now, let's look into something else here. Your friends. I thought it was interesting that your friends who are up-and-coming job seekers and or potential entrepreneurs, you didn't mention sharing this wonderful book with them. Tell me about your thoughts there. Well, I mean, when I when I kind of have discussed my business with my friends or, you know, I don't really like to kind of I, – I, I'm very quiet about my business. I love talking about it, but I don't like to put it in anyone's face or – you know, show my friends, like, look, I kind of already know what I want to do with my life. But I know a lot of my friends, they're in college, and they all, we all have, a, most of us have applied undecided because, you know, no one knows what they want to do yet. So a lot of my friends, when I, I thought about, you know, I could give this book to them, but then I think none of them are really interested in figuring out what they want to do yet. They, they've been told that they have years to figure it out. So, I mean, a lot of people are not really interested in figuring out what they want to do and are going to explore a bunch of different things that don't necessarily make sense for their, I guess, core identity. The thing is this. It's true you have time to decide. However, unfortunately, it's not uncommon for people to make the wrong decisions. Right. And one thing that I think that um, young adults, whether you're in high school or college or even graduate school, need to keep in mind is that you want to test things out. You don't want to invest a lot of time and money in professions that you ultimately don't want to to practice. You don't want to become a physician and then decide you don't like what the physician has to do. I remember a few years ago receiving a letter from a young physician that was just finishing at Baylor, and she told me she didn't like how the healthcare system works, and she's decided she's not going to practice medicine. Well, why would you spend all those years to prepare yourself um, and then decide you don't like the healthcare system? You could have figured that out beforehand. Yes, we've had changes in the healthcare system, but physicians don't have a lot of freedom in the way the healthcare system works. So it's really important for young adults to start early in life testing things out to figure out what could be the right fit so that you need to learn about different professions. I can't begin to tell you the number of not just physicians, but also attorneys who go through the training. Some work for a short period of time and then decide they don't like it. They're spending too much time with law books. You know, they don't have, it's too solitary. They don't like it. Well, you can figure those things out. You have to think through the process. Right. But think about it, and this is a bit of a stretch, but it's it's all related. I mean, you understand right fits throughout your life. 
you're one and the same person. Why is it then when people select, let's say, a boyfriend or a girlfriend, they don't have in mind the right fit, and then they continue the relationship when the fit is not right? Am I correct? Yeah, I mean... I definitely yeah. have seen that happens with any situation, and right, it's not, it right. doesn't measure up to someone's true being. Right. So it again goes back to a blueprint. But when it comes to a blueprint for a right fit, and I like to call it position, not a job. A position to me means you're making a commitment. Do you remember that I mentioned that in the book, that – a position, really, you're connecting to it. You want to grow in it. Right. You have to learn about these things. You have to test them out. I mean, you've been very fortunate. You've tested out the drama camp. You saw what it was like to be an entrepreneur at a young age. And obviously, you loved it. Right, right. So going further, um, because I'm concerned that... Parents and their kids are struggling with this issue of the career. I've developed a series of seminars that I call YAP, Y-A-P, Young Adult and Parent Seminar Series, to figure out the right fit career path. And if you read YAP backward, the word pay appears. And that's not coincidental. That's going back to what I talked about in terms of you don't want to invest time and money in careers that ultimately you don't want. You would agree, Shana? A hundred percent. Okay, good. So to request more information and an invitation to the app series, uh, those who are listening can call my office at 310-441-5305, and that's 310-441-5305, or an email, drbarro at winwithoutcompeting.com. And if you email, please let me know if you are a parent, a high school student, or a college student, or graduate student, uh, we hold the seminars at my offices on the west side of Los Angeles. I am concerned for those who are currently finishing college or graduate school that they really understand what the right fit job or position is for them. And I was recently contacted by a college newspaper, uh, the Bruin, uh, to to give them my comments because they have concerns about students who are unemployed. I really don't want to see young adults um, unemployed over the long term. So feel free to give me a call. Shana, what else would you like to add? Well, first off, I just before I say anything, I wanted to thank you for this 
great experience to be able to, I mean, I'd love to help you and, you know, allow other kids to figure out what they want to do in their future. I guess not necessarily kids, but young adults. And I just really, I admire what you're doing. And I, I'm going to recommend to a lot of my friends that they listen in and they email you and just, it's it's a great, great way for, for us to figure out what we want to do. And um, also, if I just like to mention that I have a website, which is www.dramastars.com, where all my information about my camp is and about my accomplishments and just if anyone is interested in learning a little bit more about what I've done. So I guess that's all that I have to say. (laughs) Well, that's wonderful. No, and what I want to do is I want to feel free to invite you to attend one of our seminar meetings so that people can ask you some questions. And I am going to recommend that the seminar participants listen to our interview. I think it will be inspiring. I think that's a – I'd love to, and I think it's a great idea. Terrific. Shana, you are a win-without-competing young woman. Here's why. You understand your core identity. Your passion for mentoring others has propelled you to become an award-winning entrepreneur. You compete with yourself, raising the bar higher and higher to set the standard, not copy the standard. You create blueprints of right fits. You know how to pitch your brand. You manage the the process to accomplish your goals. You're a take-charge woman. You think outside the box. Thank you, Shana, for joining me today. You are an outstanding role model for young adults. I wish you much success at USC. Thank you so much, Dr. Arlene. My pleasure. It has been fantastic. (laughs) How to learn more about my Right Fit Method. Listen to more than 50 radio shows at drbarro.com, including interviews of New York Times bestselling authors. Buy Win Without Competing online at Amazon, Borders, and Barnes & Noble. Win was nominated for a Business Book Award and published in the United States and in India by Macmillan. Invite me to speak. Visit my professional speakers page at winwithoutcompeting.com or contact American Entertainment International Speakers Bureau located in Boston, Massachusetts. Attend my YAP seminar series. Master the Right Fit Method with me as your career coach, either by phone or in person at my offices. To contact my office, call 310-441-5305 or email dr. B-A-R-R-O, that's Dr. Barrow, at winwithoutcompeting.com. Remember this trigger tip. Walk down the right fit road to find professional and personal success.
It's all up to you. Thank you for listening to the Win Without Competing show. Goodbye for now. This is Dr. Arlene.